I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, and I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today Andre Perry. He is the author of Know Your Price and a fellow in Metropolitan Studies at the Brookings Institution. Uh, the full title of Andre's book is Know Your Price, Valuing Black Lives and Property in America's Black Cities. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Andre. Hey, thanks for having me. Andre, what is the central thesis of your book that you most want to convey? Yeah, n nothing grows without investment. And, and there's this long-standing white supremacist myth that the, that the condition of black cities and neighborhoods are a direct result of the people, the individual behaviors of, of the residents in them. And so, um, but the, the problem with that narrative that so many people attach them to is, is that no one invests in problems. And so I wanted to um, uplift the assets, the strengths in, in black communities that are devalued by structural racism. Um, assuming that there's strength in, in the community, not assuming that they, they are filled with deficits or problems, but uh, essentially assuming that there's nothing wrong with black people that ending racism can't solve. And so the, the, the goal of the book is to drive investment towards um, communities and people who've long deserved investment. Um, again, if they do not, those communities, those people will not grow. So Andre, when you think about the present crisis, um, the pandemic that has revealed so acutely the economic disadvantage, uh, the disempowerment, uh, the, the subjugation, um, how can we understand the, those structural deficits um, how can we understand them as being the precondition that led three quarters of the of the pandemic deaths to be not just in urban communities but largely in black and brown communities? Yeah, I, how I explain it, I, I, the, the 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 book is anchored by one study that I did um, a, a few years back now um, that examined home prices in black majority neighborhoods where the share of the black population is greater than 50%. And I compared housing prices there to those where the share of the black population is less than a percent. And we controlled for education, crime, walkability, all those fancy Zillow metrics. So we could get um, a, a, an apples to apple comparison between homes in black neighborhoods and, and, and white neighborhoods. And what we found astounds at home Homes in black neighborhoods are devalued or undervalued by 23%, about 48,000 per home. And, and that amount accumulates to about 156 billion in lost equity across the country. And that 156 billion is a big number. It would have funded more than 8 million four-year degrees based on the average uh, uh, cost of attendance at a public institution. It would have uh, uh, paid for 4 million businesses based on the average amount that Blacks use to start up uh, companies. It, it would have replaced the pipes in Flint, Michigan 3,000 times over. It's more than double the opioid crisis 
um, that costs the United States. It's a, it's a big number. And so when we're, we're looking at um, black community, then we're wondering why the uh, many do not have the educational outcomes um, that you would like to see, that ho home ownership is lower. lower. Um, and you see all, and, and health care is wanting, that m many of those uh, uh, reasons can, are a direct result of, of, of past policy violence inflicted upon black communities. Remember that the, the, the devaluation did not occur by accident or because of choices in the market. And there are clear uh, uh, precedents of policy um, that um, devalued um, black neighborhoods essentially because of the concentration of black people in it. And so we should not be surprised by the outcome, but yet the, the persistent narrative that if, if black people just went to school more, if they just did better, if they just listened to police, those communities would be better off. And, and that's just not true, that there is wealth that is extracted from by racism in, in everyday um, policy and, and, and housing is, is so central to so many other policies that that, that one issue of devaluation just on housing alone negatively impacts the economic mobility of black Americans in neighborhoods all across the country. Is that the central issue, the, the central policy reform that has to be addressed, housing? Well, housing has to be addressed, but as, as folks, when folks read the book, they'll certainly see that I'm, um, I, I definitely connect housing to a lot of other policies, education, healthcare, electoral politics, because housing funds so many different aspects of our lives. But the, this notion of, of devaluation is inherent in our educational system. Know that um, the way we fund education leads to um, major uh, uh, wealth disparities or uh, revenue disparities in education. Um, schools that have a majority people of color in them get $23 billion less than majority white schools and systems. And so this is not just uh, germane to, to, to housing. It's in many other policies. And, and, and that's what I do in this book. I go from city to city and examine different assets that are valuable assets. Again, um, the, these are not broken assets. They are devalued. And just like other underappreciated uh, assets, if you invest in them, they will grow. So this story that I tell, this, um, the, the book uh, really says, hey, these, there's strength in the hood. It breaks this, this, this tendency to constantly show racial disparities and, and assuming that parity will be achieved when blacks catch up to white people. No, we need for the structures that limit uh, uh, the growth in economic mobility of, of black people to go away and we need to invest in assets that are worthy of investment. Andre, how do you confront the issue of segregation? I mean, across sectors, of course, in housing, but the, the segregation 
of the black community um, when we were striving in the wake of, of Brown v. Board for integration, not just in the classrooms, but integration societally. Uh, yeah. How much of the devaluation can, can be addressed if you still have highly segregated systems? Well, you know, for me, I, I've said that I'm not waiting for white people to figure out that, edu that integration is a good thing for all of us, for black people to get the, the investments they deserve. And so I'm, I'm constantly showing, hey, here are the businesses, here are the homes, here are the communities that are worthy of investment. Now, I also, but I also believe that if people saw each other, went to school together, worked together more, that the attitudes that, um, that, that led that cop to snuff out the life of uh, George Floyd, that is also present in lenders, appraisers, real estate agents, um, those, added, those, the, those um, attitudes would dissipate if folks, uh, again, learned about slavery, learned about redlining, learned about discrimination, learned that Black people aren't menaces to society. Um, there's a lot to gain for white people from, um, by integrating. Um, and certainly there's some uh, gain if we remove the racist systems that throttle Black mobility. But my focus on this, for this book is to say, let's invest in Black strength. And that will spark integration. And so instead of waiting for folks to uh, see people in their full humanity, let's cut a check. Um, let's um, restore the value that's um, been extracted by racism and give people power in a way that will force a conversation about integration, about the future of America, about democracy itself. But for too long, we've been waiting for white folks to see that, oh, there are structures in place. Now, now I have to say we're in a moment where it, it feels like people are recognizing the harms of a, of a racially biased criminal justice system. We see the harms of, 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 of fi school financing structures that limit money to poor districts. We see the harms of, of past redlining and current predatory lending. We're starting to get that. And, and I do think that recognition will lead to change. I mean, obviously, when you look in the, in the streets, in the uprising, you see very a very diverse crowd, young crowd. Um, th there's a different mentality. So I think along the way, that will come, that, uh, or, or positive policy change will come. But we're not going to close wealth gaps just because of perceptions alone. We need to, to restore the value that's been extracted by, um, that's been extracted by racism. And tangibly, Andre, what is the policy making look like to accomplish that? Well, in, you know, in the book, I offer some, some policy recommendations. I leave it open enough where folks can fill in some gaps. But clearly, I believe that we, 
we do need to invest in housing the same way we did in um, after the, the depression. Um, we got out of the depression because essentially we invested in poor white people. Um, we um, offered low interest um, housing loans uh, where folks were able to refinance their home, move to a better neighborhood, um, use that, that, that home as a wealth builder to pass on to their children. Um, the same is, can be true today, that, that we, we have a, a home ownership problem, a poverty problem, and a social safety net problem. And we can help remedy those things by investing in low-income Black people, helping them um, purchase homes, particularly in devalued areas, um, providing mortgages that currently aren't available because in many uh, parts of town, the homes that, are, that could be for sale or are for sale are at such a low price point, banks won't bank them. Um, and so we can create new loan products and regulations that enable people to purchase homes. Um, and so the, the, some, some of the same thinking that went into making sure people recover after the Great Depression, somewhat the same thinking we can do to get out of um, the, the generations of, uh, of a lack of disenfranchisement, a lack of investment in Black community. So, are you are you envisioning a new deal that is specific in in its empowerment of the dispossessed and and uh, specifically um, th those who've been disabled um, from achieving value, the kind of value you talk about in your book. Um, I'm, you know, is the is the capitalistic infrastructure prepared for the kinds of equalizing, you know, that that you're describing, um, that is bringing equity itself has to be a, a sustainable and enduring task, and you know what what systemically has to be reformed in order to accomplish what you're what you're describing you know in a in a well functioning economy that you 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 have the drags of racism and sexism and homophobia removed from it and so it's been the ideal to remove racism um and, and, and that stifles innovation participation um, investment, those things are stifling the economy. And so um, it's going to be painful for some to, to learn and to experience an economy that doesn't advantage white folks or, or, or advantage whiteness. Because um, clearly there are lots of poor um, under uh, uh, white people who do not have wealth. And I think many of the remedies um, um, that would support uh, black people who've been denied wealth building opportunity will support white people as well and others um, who've been denied opportunities. But the, the point is you have got to remove the drag of anti-black legislation that has infected our, our public policy throughout the generations 
and that will make everybody whole. But it, but we have to pay attention um, to black people because it won't matter much if we um, uh, create opportunities and black people aren't the uh, beneficiaries of those new policies. And so it's, again, addressing anti-Black legislation um, and making sure that the communities that were hit the hardest by that legislation um, receive some type of remedy um, so that the entire economy can, can reach its full potential. And when you talk about anti-Black legislation, obviously there's been a widespread effort to suppress the voting rights of, of people of color. But what are the, again, tangibly, legislatively in, in our states and in, in our federal statute, what has to be renewed, restored, or created from scratch that's not there right now? Well, and, and we're beginning to have these conversations actually today as, as we speak around reforming the criminal justice system, and that, that involves federal, state, and local um, jurisdictions. Uh, but clearly, one of the biggest wealth extractors in the United States is the criminal justice system. You're literally taking people out of uh, an economy. The, uh, the folks who are the, the inventors, the, the um, um, folks who are work, working in, 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 in the workforce, um, you remove people from it, um, Black people from it with a racially biased criminal justice system. So you absolutely need to um, um, change the, the way we fund um, criminal justice and policing. And, and I absolutely love the conversation around defunding the police because um, for me, it, it translates into reprioritizing budgets in ways that uplifts black communities. So um, yes, we, we need less cops, more teachers. Um, we need um, less police to respond to drug issues and more social workers to do it. And so we don't need, and, 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 I, and I'm a big uh, believer that we need to beef up our municipal, uh, or the, the level of municipal jobs. Um, but we need to do that by shifting budgets in ways that make sense. But um, for me, at a, um, a federal level, we have got to figure out ways to um, create loan products, mortgage products for Black Americans all across the country that will enable folks to generate wealth. Um, there are other uh, policy recommendations I've been eyeing. I actually love the baby bonds idea. Um, I do think that we need new forms um, for people to generate wealth because in the future, I do think housing will be more of a human right. We need folks to be able to live in a community for a predictable amount of time, regardless if folks are uh, generating wealth um, from it or not. So we need um, new ways to generate um, uh, a wealth in this country besides housing um, and besides the stock market. And I do think that uh, a baby bonds, an idea where every individual has a federally backed savings account that they get um, that savings, um, when they turn 18, 21, um, um, there's d different uh, policies on the table there. And then when you, when, when you um, reach that age, you can use it to buy a home, you can use it for college education, um, so on and so forth. 
Another thing that we need to think about is rem debt removal. Another uh, um, uh, function in the wealth, uh, wealth equation is debt. You, you know, when you're talking about wealth, you're talking about assets minus debt. And, and, and clearly for black Americans um, who, who are disproportionately taking on more loans, we need programs um, to um, remove that debt. And, and that's a problem for all America. I mean, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult for all Americans to get by because of the rising costs of, edu uh, of, of education. And, and for some, that it just saddles people with more and more debt. As, you know, and, and getting smart shouldn't make you poor. Um, so um, so we've, we, there's lots of things at the federal, state, and local levels um, that we need done. And this COVID moment, this uprising moment, doesn't make it um, any more easier. But I do think we're in at a time where we recognize that structural inequality will put Black people in vulnerable positions. And every time a crisis occurs, we're, we're asking why are more black people dying? Why are more black people unemployed? Why are more, more black people getting laid off? Um, and it's because black people have not, um, or, or society has not addressed the structural inequality that limits black people and, 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 and worsens their ability with, to withstand the economic, the inevitable economic shocks um, that occur time and time again. In the minute we have left, I just wanted you to expound on this, this point that the realization of Dr. King's economic justice and a, an endeavor that he focused on in the latter part of his career um, and did not get to carry forward mm. and, and we still haven't carried forward, but now there's this awakening, um, that the police industrial complex has, has been, um, the distraction, the deviation from the common welfare of, um, black Americans and their communities. And in, in Minneapolis, perhaps because the tensions were so high there and the protests so strong that there was immediately enacted a transition to in effect a new police authority. Um, do you have confidence that this awakening is, is going to um, reprioritize across metropolises that, that the reform that took place already or that's in the process of being conducted in Minneapolis will, will now happen in cities across the country. Yeah, you, in going back to MLK and economic justice issues, we, we really do need to stop separating social justice from economic justice. There's nothing that says a, um, that a black person doesn't belong in a con an economy like a police officer just killing a, um, a person in, under their jurisdiction in the middle of the street in broad daylight. That um, these two ideas are inextricably linked. And so I, I believe that, yes, the movement to 
um, to change the criminal justice system and policing is absolutely important and absolutely vital. Um, to really have that um, take hold, we need to focus on economic justice. Folks, when they have power um, to pursue lawsuits, to um, to hire to to, to hire uh, people, to um, to vote, um, to engage in electoral pro pro process, it's less likely you have uh, racists who who don't believe that in 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 equality under the law. And so for me, I do, I am hopeful. I'm hopeful that this movement will, um, around policing will spark a larger conversation around structural inequality in other areas because they are absolutely linked together. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, we, we haven't seen this kind of energy in a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm near 50 years old. And I haven't lived um, in a time where I've, I've been this optimistic for change. I really do feel like I'm in my mother and grandmother's uh, uh, era when they talked about MLK and Fannie Lou Hamer and Malcolm X and, and Shirley Chisholm. And, and they, they had hope. You know, I, I, I feel that I'm in a hopeful time, that I see change around the corner. And... And, and, and so, you know, I wake up every day going, wow, this is an opportunity. We can change. Andre Perry, author of the new book, Know Your Price, Valuing Black Lives and Property in America's Black Cities, Brookings Institution Fellow. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me.